4: Ladies and
5: gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. I hope everyone is doing great this evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is right here today, Tuesday evening, going into Wednesday morning ladies and gentlemen i almost forgot what day it was but it's the christmas season and when you get up three or four times a night to tend to your child the days just start blending in together obviously i also don't go to an office so i sit around all day in my underwear no i'm kidding i do get up in the morning I take a shower at like 6 in the morning. When Willie G wakes up for his final time, 6 in the morning for a feeding, that's it, folks. You're not going back to bed. And that's the way it works here at the Gold household now. Actually, this morning, I've got so much work to do. There's so much business stuff going on behind the scenes here at the Dustin Gold Standard. A lot of changes, uh, new marketing strategy and stuff coming up for January 2023 because we want to try to expand and reach more folks and my wife says oh we have to do christmas photos with willie g i said wait a second we did the christmas photos with santa last week she said no i got us all matching pajamas uh for me for her for willie g and she wanted to take pictures by the christmas tree And so, I used to have a photography business with my ex-wife. I said, well, I've got to stage this thing and make it look right. Because, you know, I don't like to do anything half ass you know. So, the next thing you know, I'm hanging sheets over the windows. Because I don't have photography lights here. I've got some studio lights uh, in this studio. But I don't have the photography equipment. When I got divorced, I told my ex-wife, just keep everything. In the end, she kept the business, the equipment the software, the websites I built, the marketing, uh, the payment systems, all that stuff. She kept all of that. So um, I had to do it with natural light and I didn't feel like breaking out the Canon. I just wanted to do it on the iPhone 13. So I hung sheets over certain windows and got the lighting right. I had a couple of red uh, like farmhouse style chairs I had made a while ago. So I brought those in the house, put them in front of the little fireplace. We had the tree lights, on we staged it real nice we had this rocker prop between the two trees and uh two chairs and i had to make sure willie g didn't fall back in it and uh staged it right lighted it uh properly it looks great folks we ended up taking a great picture so i'm glad we did it but it was an unexpected two three hours this morning that i was not uh planning on so my wife sprung that on me i edited them up today said you know what let me edit them now on photoshop because if i don't do it i'm not going to feel like doing it later, so I have one photo left. It's her and her mother with Willie G, so I've got to finish that up. And then, it was the middle of the afternoon. I said, alright, half my day has been blown already. I might as well go out Uh, While Willie was taking a nap and my wife was taking a nap, I said, let me run out and get a little bit of the Christmas shopping done because I haven't done that yet. And it's December 13th, folks, and I just haven't had time. And I don't want to just go on Amazon and order everything off Amazon. So I decided because every one of my family likes pictures. They love to hang pictures on the wall. And we've taken all these great pictures with Willie G when my mom and stepdad and my father, and everybody was in town visiting for Thanksgiving. So I fixed up, touched up some of those photographs. I went down to Home Goods because they've got a great selection of frames for real cheap. Five, six dollars a piece. And I bought a lot of really nice frames. And luckily, when I go over people's homes, for some reason it's locked into my head. And I remember their style. So I got frames that match their style. So I'm going to print out some pictures and then we'll uh, get those uh, framed here, I'll frame them up and then I'll put a little something else in there and that'll be Christmas and then we're doing these uh, kind of baskets with some of the bread I've been baking with some jellies from Farmer Carol uh, the farm that we get all of our stuff from and so we're going to give those to the people that live around here as a Christmas basket but for the relatives I'm going to do the pictures Uh, you know we got pictures with them and Willie G so they'll love to have that nowadays with iPhones nobody prints anything anymore i mean that's what's happened in this world nobody prints anything and the other thing is uh, if you go back and look at the photo albums from when you were a kid when i was a kid it was great my father was a photographer because he was a private investigator and he would take pictures of car accident scenes and people's cuts and wounds and stuff like that people in the hospital and so he always had his film cameras 35 millimeter film camera with him on vacation so he'd always be snapping pictures but remember you put a roll of film in there i don't know what it was back then two three four dollars for 24 to 36 frames i think and so you'd snap the picture you wouldn't know what it looks like until a week later and then eventually it became you know one hour photo but still you wouldn't snap 341 shots you know let me take 492 selfies until my duck face looks right no, you would just shoot them. And then so you go back through your photo albums from when you went to Disney when you were a kid with your parents or from Christmas or your first day at school. Your eyes are closed. You've got the red glowing eyes. You're picking your nose. You're drooling. You're all blurry. You look like a ghost in the image. No, that was the real thing. But you printed them out. You put them in the album, and it was a great thing. So one of the things I'm trying to get in the habit of now is as soon as I have some photos that I like, Right, that I want to keep forever and obviously you can't keep everything in your phone you'll have 732 photos every day I'm going to get them printed right I started actually doing it when I met my uh, wife because we took some great photos together uh, at a mountain on the beach and that kind of thing so I ordered some prints of that and I bought her a little album it was a leather album I had engraved last Christmas it said uh, the adventures of Magdalena and Dustin and so I had some pictures printed for her to put an album together so that's what i'm doing with willie g so i decided for this present for maggie because we decided we're not going to go crazy this year uh because we just had the baby and that's the best gift ever um and so we decided let's not go nuts last year i bought her Bunch of little things and stuff, but it, it was quite a bit of work, and so we decided not to do much. But what I'm doing is I got a frame at Home Goods today, a big one, not a twenty by thirty inch. It's probably a sixteen by twenty inch, but real nice. And I was looking for the old fashioned one with the mat board in there that's got the cutouts and different shapes, and you can make a collage. They don't really have that anymore, so I'm going to make a collage in Photoshop tonight. I'll be up late, and it's going to be everything from uh, the birth. Through the Christmas photos, and it'll be our first family collage. So it's going to be real nice. I'll make her cry, ladies and gentlemen. I'll make her cry. On our anniversary, which is October 13th, so it's before Willie was born, one month before he was born, I had bought a, it was like an $80 uh, movie projector, you know, like a plug in uh, projector. And she wanted to be looking at the mountains, all right, while she was in the birthing tub. Uh, so we had a room we cleared out, which was later gonna be Willie's nursery. That's what it is now. And so I got a projector screen. Oh, it was $20, $80 for the projector. And I found a four-hour, 4K, real steady, real, it was done on a steady cam or a drone or something, real steady hike through the mountains because my wife likes to hike. And so I set up the room with candles and roses and it had it dark in there. We didn't have the pool set up, the birthing pool. Uh, but I had set up the screen and I had the video playing and I had some really cheap. She like Latin music, uh, by the group. What's a Gypsy King? She likes that, so I had that on, and I walked her in there blindfolded for our anniversary, and I took it off her. And she looks and she sees all the candles and the roses, which she likes. And she sees the giant wall, like projection screen. It's a little room, but it was big for the room. And she sees the mountain, this walk through the mountain. She literally starts crying. So when I'm doing gifts for people, I like to either make them laugh as soon as they open it or cry as soon as they open it. Now, I'm sure as I get older and I give Willie a Christmas sweater, I'll also make him angry. But I like to get a reaction. So this collage, I know it'll make her cry. Tears of joy, folks, tears of joy. So anyway, that's what I did, and I got our Christmas card done today and I had to get Maria Albanese's address and Chrissy Piccolo, who's been on the show, I've got to get her address. I got Maria's so I could send them a Christmas card and with a little thank you note in there because they got us something for Willie G. Maria got him a analog rocker swing and Chrissy put together this really nice framed uh, collage she had made with a heart in it and everything. It was really beautiful. So that's what we did. We got our Christmas cards done Done. I sent those off to Shutterfly, I think, to get them printed. So anyway, folks, I'm recording later in the day because I had to go out, buy all these frames at Home Goods. I got Willie G a little stuffed Santa Claus, too. I figured, what the hell? I'm in a joyous uh, mood today. Some uh, business stuff occurred today, which ended up putting me in a more relaxed mood than I was. And then my wife cooked the meal tonight, which is, I think, the first meal she has cooked since she gave birth to Willie one month ago ago folks one month ago believe it or not he was born on uh, what november 13th and today's december 13th and so he is one month old and folks he does not let us forget it i will tell you that he is always whining he's always crying in fact this morning right on his one month old birthday he was on the phone with his doctor scheduling his hip replacement his cataract removal and uh to have his hearing aid fitted <laughs> he was I said, he ordered a three-month supply of viagra believe it or not now these old folks are really hard to deal with i tell you they're a handful ladies and gentlemen now he's doing well he's doing well and some new things have been going on in his life folks He's uh, entered into the last week this witching phase, this witching hour. I don't know. We've talked to a lot of our friends or doula, midwife, or parents, and so it seems to be about 50-50. 50% of the folks out there end up having a kid that uh, enters this witching hour phase, which is about one month in, and it could last three or four months, and basically at night, between about six and ten, not the whole time, but they start uh, really acting up. Some people would call it crying, but I... Like I do with everything else, spent 10 hours doing research over the last couple of days. I read every school of thought. And so uh, we tried out a new method, and I'll get into that eventually. We've got a lot to cover tonight on Central Bank Digital Currency, so I'm not going to talk about that tonight but I'll tell you guys what we did this whole natural method uh, and then I've been texting back and forth as I mentioned yesterday it's been going on today with Dan Golvach he was a guest on the show a couple of times good friend of mine I used to bring him on the show I produced the Douglas Dakota show I got him on Mike Moore's Thomas Paine podcast and so Dan now is digging into all of the spiritual elements he's been studying theology and geopolitics for over 40 years and so He's been studying all of this spirituality that goes behind this control system of technocracy. He's been listening to this show and doing research into the spiritual side. And I'm always always up for that discussion i mention it here and there on this show i don't really go into depth i talked a little bit about it with dan on one of the episodes he was on i said dad come on here for a full two hours and let's just um let's talk about this i'm totally 100 percent open to doing that i think we should i think we should talk about the spirituality that drives these technocratic transhumanists so dan said Oh, in my older years here i think he's 60 folks he's not old um He said, I feel like I'm mumbling and I'm bumbling through the interviews. I really got to get this down, but it's important information, and I want to get it out to the folks because it's important. I said, Dan, don't worry about that. Nobody cares. You're a regular person. Just come on the show and let's spitball this stuff. Let's work through it. Now, sometimes when he's on, I will say, for some reason, there's a delay, and he calls me through Zoom, and and it might just be his Internet connection because it only generally happens with him so sometimes i'll think he he's done speaking and then i step in and then we talk back and forth over each other and there's a delay so it ends up like yes okay uh what uh Uh, And we're like talking on top of each other. So this time, I'm going to set Dan up with some kind of a safe word. When he's done, he says, okay, Dustin. And then I know it's time for me to jump in and ask him another question or add to the conversation. So Dan will be on, I'm guessing, sometime in the next... Two days as he's prepping for this interview. All right, folks, another thing, really interesting story, which I'm going to get into uh, right after this break. Really weird. A guy from my wife and I's birthing class that we took reached out to me last night and it sort of blew my mind, ladies and gentlemen. Blew my mind. So when we get back, let me blow your mind with that story, ladies and gentlemen, and then we'll get back to finishing. The International Monetary Fund Central Bank Digital Currencies for Financial Inclusion Risks and Rewards, which we've been reviewing over the last one and a half episodes. If you haven't listened to the full review, check out the end of episode 109 and all of episode 110. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on
4: pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back
5: to Pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, so last night on Twitter, I get a new follower, folks, and the Hackable Animal account is small. I used to have a big account back in 2015-16. I had a few of them, actually, and I lost those, and then I was off Twitter for a few years, and then I kind of found an old account I had, changed it to Hackable Animal, and then when I started this show, I opened one at Dustin Gold Show, and I don't even post there religiously, so I'm not really building a following, and I know that all the big guys pretty much have bot followers anyway, so it, it doesn't really matter to me. So anyway I see this new follower last night And I'm not going to mention the name And I look down And I say to myself Oh crap This is a guy from my birth class. Now, my wife and I took a birthing class with our doula, Alyssa. It's called the Bradley Method class. And it's not just for people giving home birth, but it is for people that are trying to avoid using any sort of drugs or any sort of painkillers and want to give vaginal birth. All right, So whether that's at a hospital, a birthing center, or at home, Uh, You can take this class. And we took it because we hired Alyssa Zardulian. We said, oh, let's take our class with her. So there was four and sometimes five couples in person and then four or five couples over Zoom. And she actually hosted the classes at the office of our midwife. So it was actually quite convenient. Uh, She rents space from them and hosts her class there. So anyway, I see this guy, and and it's really interesting because all the folks uh, started having babies, you know, at different times. Our class kind of worked all the way into the end when people were having babies. So now, everybody from the class has been reaching out to each other. Like, there's one couple, we're going to go downtown and hang out. Uh, They had a baby girl about uh, a month, one month, exactly one month before Willie was born. So we're going to take them out and do a little stroll downtown. And so this other guy last night, he follows me on Twitter. I said, wait a second, that's so-and-so. Uh, you're not going to trick me into saying his name. Not yet. And so uh, I click on his profile and I read it. I go, what the hell? This guy, I knew him for 10 weeks. He's in politics and media. Uh, he's like a Christian conservative uh, type of guy. He's got a podcast related to a nonprofit that he is the COO of. And this nonprofit basically uh, focuses on uh, seeking out. Young conservative Christian leaders. Anyway, I thought he would be great to connect with Magdalene Rose if they don't already know each other. You know her from the Dustin Gold Standard. She's the young conservative who's been friends with Marie Albanese for a number of years. So anyway, I tried to connect them uh, because they would be a great source for each other. Anyway, so I I flipped through um, his Twitter profile. And then I figured he was stalking me, right? So I wrote to him. I said, hey, thanks for following me, man. How you doing? I didn't even realize you're in politics and you've got a podcast. And so he ends up writing me back. Yeah, I checked out some of your podcasts. So I go take a look at his nonprofit that he has. Yeah, professional website and everything. I flip through the uh the board of directors and on there is jd vance and i go oh my god not to him i'm saying this to myself and so jd vance as you know we covered him in the peter thiel techno-fascist king episodes with blake masters and jd vance and so uh jd vance was an accolade of peter thiel peter thiel backed his campaign his recent campaign and so i see jd vance on the board and i say to myself oh no this is crazy right so i look at everything they stand for you know border security ending illegal immigration traditional family all the stuff as a um As uh, someone who was rooted in traditional conservatism 15 years ago, I agree with, right? It's just that, at least in my mind, I'm more woke to what's really happening now. Uh, what's really going on i see the scams and the schemes and i understand that there is no one that is in power or that we perceive to be in power that is on our side and when i say our side i mean on the side of humanity freedom liberty human autonomy they're all working for the state they're all working for the system so i text back and forth with him uh, talking about the kids, you know, the babies, the, the uh, you know, his baby and our baby. And then um, we talk a little bit of shop, you know, a little bit of business. So he sends me a clip a uh, video clip of their podcast. Actually, it was a full episode, one hour. And, and you know, it's a professional studio and everything, not like mine. So uh, I knew that he probably goes into Washington, D.C. They probably have an office. They rent a the studio they use. It's nice. it's nice. So it's him and a co-host. And this is an episode he sends me with Blake Masters, right? So now I'm thinking, oh, my God. And he asked me, yeah, what do you think of this episode with Blake Masters? So I watched the first, I didn't have time to watch an hour. I watched the first five minutes of it. And this gentleman and his co-host start off introducing Blake Masters by saying he's the guy who co-wrote Zero to One with Peter Thiel, and P. They mentioned some Peter Thiel, the greatest guy ever, the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, so that was it. And you know, I stopped it, and I wrote him, and I said, "Listen, I don't debate politics." Anymore. All right. I gave that up in my early 30s. Uh, I just don't debate. I said, as far as your nonprofit and the mission statement and the issues you're talking about, I agree 100%. I come out of the old school Glenn Beck you know, conservatism. Um, I said, but over the years, I have been co- become really interested in technocracy and transhumanism, a.k.a. eugenics, growing out of the progressive era of the late 1800s, which was this merger of the Marxist-Socialist-Communists and then later the fascists. And I said, I've got to warn you here that Peter Thiel, now, because this guy is a big... You know, Christian. At least that's his brand. And when I met him in real life I got that impression from him. He seems to be genuine. Um, So I said uh, Peter Thiel is a big time technocrat and a transhumanist. He's actually very dangerous. And so I'd love to meet up with you sometime and have a conversation. So he writes me back and he said wow that's crazy. Yeah. I'd love to have a conversation. Now I was going to hit him with The quote from Peter Thiel talking about how transhumanism and Christianity are very similar because they both offer eternal life. You know, God offers you eternal life in the heavens with him and transhumanism offers immortality. By a mind uploading you to the cloud, but I, I didn't want to freak him out, although that's true. And there's video of that. But I said, you know, I don't want to freak this guy out. I mean, maybe he becomes an ally. He's only, I believe, in his late 20s. He's young and so he he doesn't necessarily know a lot of people don't know you get into politics you're a conservative you're a young christian warrior and the next thing you know you see billionaires like peter thiel funding causes like national conservatism and supposed MAGA candidates and getting behind donald trump and you think he's a good guy but unless you start to dig into his government contracts, into his funding of Singularity, which is the merger of man and machine, into his quest for immortality, all the things he said all the Peter Thiel Fellowship folks that he's got on board, all these projects he's invested in, again, all the government contracts, then you wouldn't realize that Peter Thiel is anything but conservative uh, or libertarian. And I won't get into all that tonight, obviously, because we've covered that episode after episode after episode quite a while ago but I found it to be fascinating. So I'm sitting with this guy. He seems to have a really big uh, brand. Their following is growing. He's obviously funded. In that particular uh, segment he sent me, his co-host was talking about how he was on the road for a week fundraising for their nonprofit. And the co-host, I believe, is the acting president or CEO of the nonprofit. This guy is the COO and co-founder. So anyway... I'm going to reach back out to him shortly uh, and say to him, hey, yeah, let's have a conversation and see if maybe, maybe I could introduce him to some things. I mean, I don't want to walk away. I'm going to end up blowing up the guy's worldview, and then at 29, 28 years old, he's going to be questioning everything he's worked to build in his life, especially this nonprofit, because if J.D. Vance is on the board, I'm just taking a guess. I don't know this. I'm just taking a guess that there's probably some Peter Thiel money involved there because that's how you end up getting Thiel money is by letting Blake Masters and or J.D. Vance sit on your board Uh, or Jeff Jicia or some of these other guys that are Peter Thiel minions. So it'd be quite interesting to find out. But when I was his age... Uh, I think I was 27 or 28 years old. I was doing all of the local organizing in the state of Connecticut. I was on the radio all the time. I had a guy named John Tanton approach me who was funding some organizations that I really respected at the time, Center for Immigration Studies, uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform, EARLY, which was Immigration Reform Law Institute, some of these folks that were fighting against illegal immigration. So he comes to me and he says, look, we want to fund you to take your Uh, program that you're running here in Connecticut and duplicate it and go train people around the country and speak about it and so I start doing research into him And I was green back then, folks. I didn't know how corrupt everything was. I I thought, oh, I'm doing God's work, and now money comes my way. I'm going to make a living doing what I love to do, which is educating people and fighting back against corruption and criminality and schemes and scams. Well, it turns out this guy was also funding eugenics, and so I ended up rejecting his money, and then at that point, At 27, 28 years old, I was then pretty much blackballed from all of the access I had to the think tanks and stuff in Washington, D.C. It was like somebody figured out, oop, that guy, he is not going to be bought and paid for. And so that was it. I was blackballed. And I literally could not get anyone on the phone ever since then. I mean, there was literally two people. From this whole industry supposedly fighting illegal immigration that I stayed uh, friends with and I was able to bring on some other shows over the years. But that's because we built a personal friendship. Everybody else just stopped taking my calls. So let's see what happens with, uh, with this guy. I'd love to bring him on the show. I'd love to go on his show. I don't think they would bring me on there, though, because obviously if I told the truth about Peter Thiel, J.D. Vance, and Blake Masters, then I would blow up his whole entire operation. And I don't want to do that because it looks like they're doing some good things over there, folks. So anyway, let's see if I can get him to come on this show and maybe educate him a bit on the people that he has gotten into into bed with, and I think it is unwitting. I mean, if he is truly this big Christian conservative, I think he's going to be blown away when he finds out what the people that are possibly giving him money, or at least sitting on his board, are working on, are connected to, are involved with. I mean, you can't sit there and say you're against uh, taxes and the IRS when you're partnered with Peter Thiel, whose company, Palantir, funded by the CIA, started with... CIA money via their venture firm, their uh, capital investment firm in QTEL. You know, this company Palantir is inside the IRS helping harass regular, everyday American citizens. So you can't take money from that guy and then say you're against the IRS or you're against increased income tax when the very guy who's helping the IRS harass people is uh, is backing your organization. So we'll find out. I'll have a private conversation with him. I'll see if some of it's on the record. I'll let you know if some of it is not on the record, then obviously I will respect that. But as far as I'm concerned with this part, hey, it was an open conversation, and I talk about my life on this podcast, as you know. Folks, all right, we're going to be right back and then we're going to jump right into the International Monetary Fund Central Bank Digital Currency Panel discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to have a discussion right now with myself while I take a short break. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on slash gold.
4: More listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at paintv slash
5: Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows, and they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D.
4: You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv
5: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard. Folks, you can check us out and join the community of like-minded folks over at pain.tv slash gold. Plus, you get the ad-free video version of this podcast as well as... The Thomas Paine Podcast with Mike Moore and with Marie Albanese on Fridays. You can also drop us a donation at donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. Link is in the description of this podcast below, wherever the heck you are listening. And the least you can do if you want to help us grow is leave us a five-star review and a comment over at Apple Podcast. Now, the other day, we got up to 90, and then Apple reduced it back down to 85. This happens every single time. When we hit 60, we went to 55. When we hit 70, we went to 65. When we hit 80, we went to 75. And so we're now back to 85. So if you guys can do that, we'd really appreciate it. We really need to get to 100, folks. And then from there, we have to get to 1,000. So please do it and share the show with your friends. All right. Let's get back to the International Monetary Fund Central Bank Digital Currencies for Financial Risks and Rewards. And this is from October 14, 2022. And then just quickly, okay, I'm just going to mention the names here for you folks that are just joining in. You really need to go back and listen to episode 109 if you want the full bios. Uh, I'm sorry, 108. It's uh, segment four, part four, I believe. You can listen to all the bios of the folks involved with this panel. But we have Kristalina Georgieva, and we call her Chris. All right. She is the manager director of the International Monetary Fund. Now, she opened up the conference and introduced the next one, which is Queen Maxima of the uh, Netherlands. She's a big pusher of central bank digital currency. She already spoke. So we're beyond that part in this uh, analysis. We have Kathleen Hayes of Bloomberg television and radio she covers the federal reserve european central bank bank of japan people's bank of china we're calling her kathy all right then we have bo lee he is on the panel he is the deputy managing director of the international monetary fund in yesterday's episode uh, 110 bo lee admitted to the fact that CBDC is programmable and they could limit what you could buy, when you could buy, and from whom you could buy. Also, on this panel, and this is where we're going to pick up with, is Cecilia Skingsley. We call her Cece. And she is the head of the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub. All right. And they're doing all the cross border testing right now with a product called Embridge, tying different countries together in being able to pass CBDC across uh, various borders and things of that nature. Then we have Vera Songwe, we just call her Vera. She is from the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. She was also with the World Bank. She is instrumental in this because they are working hard to bring the the indigenous folks of Africa into this system. As we talked about yesterday, this is a system of coercion, although they call it a system of inclusion. They need everyone included on the slave plantation. And so she plays a key role in this. And finally on the panel, we have Perry uh, Wargio, and we call him Perry. And he is the governor of the Bank of Indonesia, the Central Bank of Indonesia. And he has been involved with a lot of stuff. He was also executive director of the International Monetary Fund. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to pick up with CeCe. I rolled it back about 30 seconds from where we ended in episode 110. Now, I'm going to work fast because I want to finish this up today, and then we're going to get into the world global summit where they're openly talking about central bank digital currency and whether we are ready or not for a new world order some people would say that's a conspiracy theory well tell that to the powerful folks that are having a conference on it because we're going to cover that tomorrow hopefully I will be able to get through that it's a shorter one and then uh, the following day so that would be Wednesday then on Thursday hopefully we'll have Dan Golvach on and we'll be able to talk about all of this stuff and tie up in a neat little bow for you and then we'll be ready for wide awake jim i believe he's going to be coming on next week when he's back from his business trip folks and so we'll combine in the climate hustle and cbdc and everything else folks here we go let's go to cc the head of the bank for international settlements innovation hub
3: as has already been touched upon uh, uh Introducing a CBDC into a society is not just a a universal solution. It has to come in a package. Uh, So digital literacy, understanding what it means to have, first of all, have access to a digital ID and understanding what it means to to use such a thing. I think also this digital society is raising a lot of questions about uh, uh, data privacy Uh, I think we're. uh, This is not only about money, but in in so many different ways and.
5: And so yesterday we ended the show with this, talking about how she just admitted there the digital ID. And so we know there's a lot of players involved with the digital ID. We know talks came out of uh, COVID Land, the high school theater production, about the digital vaccine passport. All this stuff is tied together. The company consensus, as you know, uh, is run by joseph lubin who was co-founder of ethereum along with vitilac buterin who was funded by peter thiel to launch ethereum consensus is working on blockchain for government cbdc for bank for international settlements actually on the project she's involved with the uh Innovation hub. And so you've got all these folks connected. You've got digital IDs connected that will be tied into the CBDCs, that will be tied into the universal basic income, and that will also be tied into a social credit score system. Because the social credit score system is going to be what runs the algorithms, the artificial intelligence that will program your central bank digital currency in real time, you know, based on your behavior, your habits, uh, your movements uh your contribution to the system ladies and gentlemen your contribution to the system but don't worry it's inclusive we'll all be operating under the same system so she mentions digital ids There, very important let's continue
3: it's up to the politicians to really decide on this it's not a role for me as a central banker but having a possibility to actually choose how much digital footprints you want to leave i think is a, is a good starting point um
5: yeah, right. So on your uh, central bank digital currency app, which will be managed by your commercial bank of choice, you know, Chase, Wells Fargo, TD Bank, City, you know, Bank of America, any of these guys, whatever. You're going to be able to choose. You'll be able to choose how much of a digital footprint you actually leave. Yeah, right. So people are going to sit around at home. Uh, Or twiddling their thumbs at the doctor's office, going through their commercial banker app and turning on and off all the little pieces of digital footprint data they want to leave behind for the central bankers, for government, for marketers, for private, so-called private business. Yeah, okay, I'm sure that's definitely going to happen. Give me a break with this, folks. Give me a break with this. And then, even if they have those as features, you have to believe that when you click on those buttons, that that actually means that the central bankers aren't going to track you. Well, you know that's a complete and total lie because once we give up the last tiny bit of sovereignty, of liberty, of freedom, of human autonomy that we have willingly to the central banking system, Right. Because even if we're coerced, you know, into doing something by someone, them, the central bank, via threats and or force, because that's what they're going to do. They're going to coerce us into the system, engineer us into the system uh, by force, because if they give you no other options on how you're going to get your Social Security or your welfare or your EBT or your disability, you have no other options. You're going to be entering this system then they have total control and then you have to believe that they're going to give you back control of your data that's a complete and total lie I don't know how anyone could buy that all right let's continue
3: so um, as I said it's not a universal solution uh, but it can certainly be used and needs to go in package with uh, support awareness and generally when it comes to digital technologies um, and I think here, the private sector and the public sector has to uh, walk hand in hand. There is so much more that kind of uh, unites us in these right. interests, rather than we are, are on separate uh, levels. And I think.
5: Okay, so she says right there, the public and private partners have to come together and form deeper partnerships. And they are more on the same page than they are not. Obviously, they are. They want it to come to fruition. But one of the things you're going to notice... Uh, across any of the panel discussions we cover, whether they come out of the World Economic Forum, out of the United Nations, out of the Bank for International Settlements, out of the International Monetary Fund, out of the World Bank, out of the Global Summit. They are all speaking from the same script. They have a set of talking points. And so you'll hear unbanked, underbanked. You're going to hear inclusion. You're going to hear Privacy, or privacy, as we would say here. You're going to hear them talk about cybersecurity, digital footprints, public private partners working together. It's the same thing. They're bumper sticker slogans. So, what happens is when you take four of these clowns, four of these economic terrorists, and you put them on the stage, you're going to see a lot of repetitive information come out of them because they're all working off the same talking points. She's sitting there looking at a piece of paper on her lap. Okay. This lady doesn't seem like the most uh, enthusiastic public speaker i've ever seen so i'm guessing as she's looking at uh, her bulleted list make sure you hit on these points these are the bumper sticker slogans all right let's continue
3: also to get this working certainly in emerging market economies it has to be combined with investments in network infrastructures okay. and broadbands and the likes okay. and i think What what the central banks or the public sector can do is to build open systems, create level playing fields, but make sure that it is the private sector who who are doing the innovation.
5: Okay, again, and we heard that come out of... Uh, Frank, right, Francois, the uh, governor of the Bank of France, their central bank, and also chairman of what was he, Bank for International Settlements, I believe. We saw that in the World Economic Forum discussion. And so they agreed on stage at the WEF that the private sector would bring the innovation, they would bring the technology, they would bring the infrastructure, they would upgrade the infrastructure, and the central banks would bring the central bank digital currency, and the stability therefore the trust in the system. So again, she's repeating uh, what these other guys talk about because they're all working off a fax, an email, folks, a text message. They're all working off a carbon copy of the talking points. Let's continue. And
3: let me just start stop by saying that I think we need to be a little bit bold here right. in the sense that uh, we shouldn't get in the way of the private sector But I think sometimes in history, you have to push society into new equilibriums. Predecessors did that when it came to building electricity, sewage system and the likes. It's hugely well for enhancing. Now we want to do it again in money. uh, And it would be good for banks as well when society takes these steps.
5: Okay, we have to push people into a new equilibrium. We have to push people. Now... I'm telling you, folks, we've covered it here in depth. You understand this. If you're new to the show, I suggest you go back and listen to the episodes on the history of technocracy. But Howard Scott... The founder of Technocracy Incorporated, we're talking about going back to 1919, all the way through their writing, through 1938, 1940, Howard Scott continued to preach this stuff all the way to 1970, I believe, when he dropped dead. Uh, One of the things they talked about was technocracy being the science of social engineering. And so the way the engineers will engineer you into society is to give you no more options. So what she just said there, they're going to push you into the new equilibrium, just like it's been done throughout history with electricity is they will give you no other choice all right so if they take just say in the united states paper, cash, and coins out of circulation, and they tell you that you're only going to be paid in CBDC, what other choice do you have? And that's what she's talking about. They're going to drag you into it, kicking and screaming, like I have to do with Willie G all the time. We are the babies, ladies and gentlemen. They are the parents. They are the adults, and they will drag us kicking and screaming into their system of total control. Ladies and gentlemen, I will be right back This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold.
4: You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. On Pain.tv. ladies
5: and gentlemen welcome back to the dustin gold standard you are listening to pain.tv slash gold and i am dustin gold couple of things folks real quick real quick let me see if i can find this i want to just show you something because i forgot to mention it at the beginning of the show before we uh Get back into the IMF while we're on a break there from CC because I want to let that stuff sink in with you, what she just said. I posted this up uh, yesterday. Uh, Some people told me because I wasn't sure if Mike Moore had mentioned it on the Thomas Payne podcast, and he had, which is great. And I guess Maria Albanese will be talking about it on Friday with Mike, because I sent it over to her. So she's going to cover it over there at the Thomas Paine podcast. And we're going to get to it soon as well. Uh, I had asked, is anyone tracking this? A couple months ago, Bill Gates was wargaming the next pandemic, which will roll out in the, quote, near future, end quote, be worse than COVID and disproportionately affect our children. All right. And so this is a center for healthsecurity.org. and this is called catastrophic contagion a global challenge exercise all right i've got to bring this up because it's important and let me put this in context for those of you that are just new to this type of content back in october of 2019 a few months before covid rolled out between january and march 2020 bill gates and the john uh johns hopkins hosted what was called Event 201. And you can go look this up on YouTube. It was out there at the very beginning of COVID. They didn't hide it. Uh, the show that I was uh, producing, the Douglas Dakota Show, we actually covered it about a week or two into uh, COVID kicking off. COVID Land, the high school theater production, and so they basically war gamed COVID Land three months before it happened, and then everything we've seen roll out over the last couple of years pretty much follows that to a T. Well, Bill Gates was at it again, old uh, vax pusher Gates. If our vaccines work we can lower the population by 10 to 15 percent that's what he said in 2010 at ted talks Uh, we covered here at the show i'm not going to do the whole quote tonight uh, but he did that ladies and gentlemen i just want to show you this because uh this is rather important and i'm at their their website this is center for health org, and it says the john hopkins center for health security in partnership with who that's the world health organization and the bill and melinda gates foundation conducted catastrophic contagion a pandemic tabletop exercise at the grand challenges annual meeting in brussels belgium on october 23rd 2022 all right less than two months ago the extraordinary group of participants consisted of 10 current and former health ministers and senior public health officials from senegal rwanda nigeria angola liberia singapore india germany as well as Bill Gates, co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The exercise simulated a series of WHO, that's a World Health Organization, emergency health advisory board meetings addressing a financial pandemic set in the near future, in the near future. Participants grappled with how to respond to an epidemic located in one part of the world that then spread rapidly, becoming a pandemic with a higher fatality rate than COVID-19 and disproportionately affecting children and young people. Participants were challenged to make urgent policy decisions with limited information in the face of uncertainty Each problem and choice had serious health, economic, and social ramifications. And, folks, this is put on by Johns Hopkins and uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, That's all I'm going to cover right now, but you folks need to keep an eye on this. Seriously. I mean, this is pretty sick stuff, considering... um, Event 201 took place in October of 2019 and then COVID kicked off a few months later at the very beginning of 2020. And now they run this catastrophic contagion. I mean, seriously, it's kind of freaky to be honest. Uh, Another thing I just want to show you uh, quickly here. So Maria Albanese had posted, um, there are many chapters to the PSYOP playbook. He is just another chapter. Now, I don't want to go totally crazy here with Elon Musk, but I have to point this out to you because we covered him so much on this show, all right? And now I see people just jumping on board. They love this guy. I mean, give me a break, folks. His Twitter profile image uh, uh, is the photo of him from Halloween where he was wearing the devil costume, all right? Like Satan. All right? This guy is sending you a message. This is part of what we're going to talk about with Dan Golvach when he comes on in a couple of days. All right? And so this... Caroline Or Bueno, PhD, I have no idea who this is. She writes, Elon Musk is now explicitly encouraging his 120 million followers to start following QAnon. Put differently, Elon Musk is encouraging his 120 million followers to join a domestic terrorism movement. Now, I'm not going to comment on that, but Elon tweets out, follow, and then it's a um, a rabbit emoji like the white rabbit and that's where Maria responded to this there are many chapters to psyop playbook he meaning Elon is just another chapter well I wrote there because this is very important I figure a lot of people uh, read what Maria writes I said there are actually people who believe this guy meaning Elon runs several multi-billion dollar companies is slash was the richest man on earth I told you that's like musical chairs has autism, sleeps around, parties, hangs with Joe Rogan, appears on podcasts, and has time to follow and tweet political nonsense, all while answering to corporate boards. The point of this being, folks, is all of a sudden, and you've got to wake up your friends and family to this nonsense, these people that watch Fox News and then dabble on uh, Twitter here, and they're following Elon like he's uh, Donald Trump firing out these cryptic tweets like QAnon. And you really think that Elon Musk is sitting there tweeting this stuff, folks? Seriously, he supposedly runs several multi-billion dollar companies with boards. Uh, You know, there's boards. There's people on the boards, right? So he has to turn out money. Tesla's a publicly traded company. He's got SpaceX. He's got government contracts. All of this. You think this is real that he's able to actually do all this? Give me a break. The guy is obviously an actor. He's obviously an actor because he can't be doing all that. It would be impossible. So wake people up to this. And they're literally, literally people believe that he's some kind of a hero. He went and he posted Elon Musk at his account a picture of him giving a peace sign. Uh, Over a grave, and on the gravestone it says bots, right? Like, he's burying the bots. And so I wrote here, ladies and gentlemen, are you folks actually buying this? If so, I'm sorry, but you're too far gone. This is a giant PSYOP. Elon Musk is not a hero, Tony Stark, or the leader of the resistance, and he's not fighting government. He's an extension of the state, transhumanist, and a technocrat. Simple. And, and folks, it doesn't get any more simple than that. It does not get any more simple than that. Now, I don't know how many of you are fans of uh, Tim Pool, of Tim Pool, but folks, I, I just, it's, it bothers me, so I, I have to put this up here, okay? Tim Pool tweets, I used to think Neuralink was scary and dangerous, But then Elon Musk bought Twitter and agreed with me ideologically. So now I think Neuralink is great and want to have my brain plugged in to the machine. All right. So all these people start tweeting at him. And so then he writes, I love how people try to find deeper meaning in shit posts." right? So he's shit posting, supposedly. But then he says, Neuralink is awesome. I'm excited to see what it can do to save lives. Neurological diseases, nerve damage, etc. can be treated with it. We will see how it goes with one-on-one human-computer interfacing. But that's very far off. Elon Musk actually tweets under Tim Pool two fire emojis. And then Tim Poole responds, but in all seriousness, I do think Neuralink is great considering medical applications, but some scary ethical and philosophical conversations definitely need to be had, however. See, this is the issue, folks. I, I, I wrote this i screen captured tim pool's tweets and i wrote when will you realize that all of your favorite trading card heroes are being funded by the technocratic transhumanists who are working with the state to engineer you into slavery until they can fully engineer you out of existence come on folks all right and i and i had to do this even though i have a small account because it is important to understand Uh, And and this is my opinion here. Uh, Tim Pool is just representative of many of these folks. But what they do, and and if they're so big, they have these huge followings, supposedly, on social media. And their podcasts are really big. They're tied into the Joe Rogan network. uh, And they get help uh, with promotion from Joe Rogan and that whole network of folks, which I believe, honestly, are all shills. These guys help elevate technocracy and transhumanism as joe rogan does that's his job is to normalize it if you're going to take a stance against transhumanism there is no way no way that you can ever give the transhumanist an inch you can't do it as i said their extreme is to engineer humans out of existence i explained to you in depth transhuman means transitional human And it's moving to post-human. That's not my opinion. This is what the transhumanist movement says. Post-human is no more human. Humans are gone. Do you understand this? So the transhumanist stance is they want to move beyond humans to something else. Uh, Just robots, something else, something completely different than humans. Humans will be out of the equation. So if you sit there and you are going to even debate the supposed good things that Neuralink could do when Neuralink stands for merging man with machine, putting artificial intelligence into humans' brains, which Elon Musk has talked about in depth. I'm not making this up. This is his product. Whether it's going to work or not, whether it's cover for what the government is doing, doesn't matter. I'm taking it at face value the official narrative coming from the CEO, Elon Musk. If his job is to merge man with machine under this idea of single that came from Ray Kurzweil, chief engineer at Google many years ago, that Peter Thiel funded through the Singularity Institute going back to 2006. The idea is to merge man with machine, create transhuman is, uh, transhumans. They are transitional humans moving to post-humans. End of humanity. Their job is to engineer humanity out of existence. So Tim Pool, as smart as he is, as big as an audience as he is, he's even going to sit there and say, well, let's talk about the good things. Now, if you're going to fight Against technocracy, you have to take the stand that is the most opposite, 180 degrees, complete opposite as far extreme as they are going to. So you would have to take the stance of no Neuralink. Actually the stance of no technology. If they want to enslave you with technology, you can't then sit there and say, well let's talk about technology. I think enslaving us is bad. But I don't know. I'll wear the Fitbit as long as you agree not to track my heart rate and beam it up to the cloud. See how it works? See how it works to these guys like Tim Pool and I'm calling him out, folks. Now, I'm not saying he works for these guys, but what I'm saying is he, whether wittingly or unwittingly, is driving people into the arms of the technocratic transhumanists, and it disgusts me because for some reason people continue to fall for this nonsense. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dust to Gold with the Dust and Gold standard right here at pain.tv slash gold.
4: More listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at slash Gold. More listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash go. Alright folks, sorry about that sidebar, but those were a, a few stories I wanted to put in at the beginning and I totally forgot. And then, um, I forgot to add them to my notebook. And so I said, you know what, let me stick those in there. Cause they're very important. I had to mention them. So now let's pick back up. Uh, we're at the end of the question that was answered by CC, the head of the bank for international settlements innovation hub. And so we're going to kick it back. I think to Kathy, the host from Bloomberg.
1: Speaking about just moving ahead and not hesitating, uh, that's why we waited to get you right here to answer this question and to, br- to bring this to the table because you're actually doing it, Governor Rogio. Perry- you're not, you're moving ahead on many, many fronts. I know you're working in close partnership with Cecilia. Uh, but trust, I believe Queen Maxima mentioned that in her remarks and uh, there's all different kinds of trust. You don't want the tax collector to look over your shoulder. You might be worried about being hacked there's so many things so what are what are the issues there that need to be dealt with and so far as you design your model for your cbdc it's going to take a while maybe but how are you dealing with that
0: uh thank you catherine for uh this question before
5: okay so this is perry he is the Bank of Indonesia governor. That's the central bank there. And he was also executive director of the International Monetary Fund from 2007 to 2009.
0: Let's continue. that, Let me thank the two ladies in the world. The heart <laughs> always financial inclusion, including Indonesia. Queen Maxima, thank you for always putting your heart on Indonesia. Also MD Kristalina. <laughs> Financing inclusion. Yes.
1: here, here.
5: Financial inclusion, that's what he's saying Financial inclusion, inclusion, inclusion How do you like enslaving the people of Indonesia, sir? That's what I'd ask him Let's continue Every
0: time I heard financial inclusion I always remember two women and my late mother Why you do that? Two-thirds of 65 of 5 million SME Indonesia Is driven by women. So if we progress on the inclusion, woman empowerment, the welfare of the family, as well as the leaders of every country, including myself, my late mothers, SME,
5: okay so he's talking about woman empowerment through financial inclusion so he's saying that women lead the family women rear the kids women now are in politics and everything else so we need to make sure we include the women and so folks it's it's about enslaving the women too so you're going to take the woman in charge of the family and you're going to strap her into the cbdc system that's what he's talking about uh let's continue with this guy
0: not passing elementary school. Thank you, Queen Maxima and MD Crystal always putting financial inclusion in Indonesia. Three key word for social trust. DEF, clear. One, D, digitalization. What we mean by digitalization?
5: A- digitalization, he's saying. DEF, digitalization.
0: Straight to the CBDC, digital payment system. Use your QR. Use your fast payment. Very cheap. And then buy also design the proper CBDC.
5: So he's holding up his phone. He's saying use your QR code. In Indonesia, I believe they actually are using a QR code system. So you open your phone, people scan your QR code, and then it comes right out of your CBDC wallet.
0: Digitalization of payment system and then CBDC is the key, one of the trust. E, empowerment. Those SME need to be empowered on how they do the economic activity. SME, entrepreneurship, marketing, product development.
5: You talk about this, so he's talking about empowerment now. So D E F D was digitalization, digital payment system, QR codes, right, attached to CBDC. Now he's saying empowerment. He's talking about marketing. He's talking about the adoption campaign. How do you force people into the system, corral them onto the cattle car? That's what he's talking about right now.
0: Empowerment, F, financial literacy and customer protection. This.
5: Okay, financial literacy and customer protection. It's
0: very important to protect them, to teach them to be digitalized.
5: This teach them to be digitalized, right? I told you, this is all part of what's going to go into the indoctrination of the young folks right this is what they're going to be teaching in school now so instead of the old days where you learn to balance a checkbook now they're going to teach you how to operate digitally Uh, i don't have this but i heard about it friend of mine told me this is years ago now the newest Monopoly game I believe, it could have changed now, maybe it's Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or something but the, the one of the latest Monopoly games, you actually have a debit card you're using or a credit card instead of using the uh, cash, so they're already training the children to do this, so most people would watch this, this is why I don't just pull clips and I analyze entire discussions because we're getting value valuable intelligence out of every single one of these people so most people would blow through this because it's hard to understand it with his accent but we're pulling a lot of very important information out of this so they're running on the def system digitalize, empowerment and then financial literacy so that has to do with uh, empowerment he said is marketing uh, it's the adoption and then you have financial literacy which is driving people into the system
0: the heart of indonesia g20 presidency Two of the six priority agenda on the finance track under Indonesia presidency is on the digitalization. One, advancing the cross-border digitalization of the payment system and designing the CBDC.
5: All right, so he's talking about cross-border. They're really focused in Indonesia on the cross-border transactions. So for Indonesian CBDC to go cross-borders into other countries.
0: BIS, IMF, you know, on the cross.
5: And he's talking about Bank for International Settlements and International Monetary Fund helping. Order
0: payment system. And we are making progress of that because digitization of the payment system advancing with the correct program uh, performance indicator that toward digitization of the payment system. Indonesia, 20 million of our SMP already digitalized. SME, using QR, fast payment, very cheap, very fast growing. We are also advancing to ASEAN 5, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore, as well as Philippines will be cross-border connectivity on the digital payment system.
5: Okay, so he's talking about all the surrounding co- uh, countries around Indonesia that are all going to be connected through the cross-border central bank digital currency system, and they're really pushing the idea of the QR codes. Man, I should have invested in that a while ago.
0: Screwing financial inclusion. While under G20, we are working closely on the proper design of CBDC. We will talk with the wholesale retail choice of platform technology on that. Correct design of CDCC.
5: Okay, so he's talking about working with the wholesalers, working with the retailers. I've talked to you about this before. They're going to control the entire system from the central bank. And Remember, this guy's the head of the Indonesian central bank. From the central bank to the commercial bank, and then from the commercial bank to the consumer, me and you, but also the commercial bank will control the manufacturers. They're going to control the wholesalers. They're going to control the distributors. They're going to control control the truckers they're going to control the retailers they control the entire supply chain and this is why i've told you time and time again this is what technocracy is it's the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services it goes all the way back to 1919 through the late 1930s when all the plans and the blueprints were drafted up, when this was all architected. Uh, obviously not how the technology worked, but how the system, the ideology, the methodology behind the system works. So you really need to go back and listen to my podcast on the history of technocracy if you have not done so. Let's continue.
0: Uh, second agenda is harnessing digitization for financial inclusion. Thank you, in, Maxima, for Always putting heart on global partnership of financial inclusion. We put digital uh, on the financial inclusion. So many model businesses in the world from Indonesia, from India, from Mexico, from Latin America, from Africa that model business of this digitalization is walking
5: okay so he's talking he just keeps praising queen maxima and he's talking about uh digitizing money digitizing money he's talking about different countries that are all getting on board with this now kathy from bloomberg is about to cut in because i think she realized it's pretty hard to understand what he's saying of course i watched this a couple of times so i know what he's saying and that's why i'm able to break it down for you let's continue
1: specific example though of what you're doing about trust Because everything you said, you're moving in the right direction, but is there any in particular about that trust aspect that you think needs to be looked at? Do you have any specific sense with your team of what's the most important way? As you've all said, if a central bank backs it, great. But a lot of people don't pay that much attention to their central bank, right? But they do pay attention to these other things. So just, you know, in a nutshell, one thing, one thing that needs to be there
5: okay so let me just point out their teaching moment and i mentioned this yesterday in episode 110 but she is supposedly a journalist from bloomberg and she just said to him oh this is great you're moving in the right direction so there's no questions about whether or not this is the appropriate thing to do the ethical thing to do is it really about freedom is it really about liberty or is this whole thing a scam is it a scheme is it a grift is it to drive people into a system of slavery no she said hey oh you're going to in the right direction. You're moving it forward. That's fantastic. Now, can you explain how you guys are building trust in this system? Basically, how is your adoption campaign running? How is your propagandizing of the citizens going? How is your mind control and your brainwashing working? How are the public relations teams doing this? How are you truly building trust? We really want to know that because Indonesia is one of these countries that is moving forward at warp speed with central bank digital currency. They're a test case for a lot of these other countries. So she wants to see how they are, how they are pushing people into this system without a major backlash. That's what she's interested And yet, she's a journalist, so she's not questioning the validity of this system. She's actually on board with the system, and she's just helping pull out the information that the central banking world needs in order to push this onto all of us. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. I'm going to push to a short break. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold.
4: You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard all right folks so we're getting a, a question here from kathy from bloomberg from old perry the head of the bank of indonesia their central bank and she wants to know how he is building trust with the people of indonesia and with the retailers and the wholesalers and the manufacturers so let's continue
0: always proper design or model business and as well as financial literacy and customer protection. Because trust, if you know the product, if you benefit those proper design, model business, as well as financial literacy and customer protection, then the trust, the lack of the trust because those SME not being enough protected by financial literacy and customer protection
5: okay okay so you see what he's saying there did you understand what he said so he told her trust is built by essentially creating buy-in for everyone so he has to show everyone at all levels of the supply chain from you and i the consumer the customer all the way up the ladder, that we're all going to benefit from this. So they have to show us what the benefits are, and then they can build trust with everyone within that system. And to keep stressing the idea of consumer protection and privacy, all these tag words, all the bumper sticker slogans, and now you know why they're all operating off the same talking points. Because this was obviously already uh already uh tested market tested and they know what's going to sell they think this is what's going to sell so they're going to keep talking about this now my personal belief is these guys already know i think like with covid land the high school theater production they run simulations and they know how many people are going to just go along with it all right and when they're wargaming this in the back room the stuff that we don't see They know that, let's just say in the United States, they can chip away 20% of the country with Social Security, I don't know, 5% of the country with disability, I'm just throwing some numbers out there, Uh, 30% of the country with welfare, and so they go, okay, boom, right there, we got 55%, they're going to just go along with it because they need the handout. Now, we'll take all the gig workers that are struggling, there's between 50 and 60 million gig workers in the United States that do it either part-time or full-time and we'll offer them UBI all right boom there we go that's another 20 percent of the country so they could start chipping away now they have to say all right who's left the resistors the people like you and I that let's say didn't wear a mask or maybe we didn't get a COVID test or we never got the jab how are we going to get the resistors in all right let's break down that group oh okay we have some entrepreneurs there All right, we're going to offer this as a payment system for their business. Well, they don't want to take it. All right, well, what are they using to process payments? Are they using Square? Are they using Stripe? Are they using QuickBooks? What are they using? Do they accept Venmo? Do they accept google wallet do they accept apple pay do they accept cash app do they accept zelle okay well we control all those companies now we'll just force them into that system through those companies through their payment processor all right what about the hillbillies living out in the woods all right let's figure out how to draw them in so behind the scenes they have all these numbers and they're coming up with the marketing plans and their system of inclusion, their system of coercion. And they're going to figure out how to threaten and force you into that system. This is how it works, folks. This is how it works. These are the economic terrorists. These are the central bank mafia bosses. Hard at work over here. And so Perry's pulling it off in Indonesia, and they want to know exactly how he's making it work. Let's continue.
1: So let's go from trust and financial literacy, very important, to data two numbers, right? And Bo, that's where I want to bring you in because uh, how does the, is there data that is going to help Governor Rogio help central banks and other entities around the world? Look at what's going on, how they get this done and get it done right.
5: All right, so she's jumping back over to Bo Lee, the deputy managing director of the International Monetary Fund. Now, if you didn't listen to episode 110, in there bo lee actually admits that central bank digital currency is programmable money and he actually mentions food stamps and welfare as an example and he says we can program that so people can only spend it on certain things at certain places certain times and so he admits that he admits it it was a big takeaway yesterday from episode 110 let's continue with bo lee yeah
2: thank you thank you kathleen uh, indeed, uh, data is something we look very closely right now in terms of how to make this uh, CBDC ecosystem an uh, attractive option for private sector participants. Um, for any CBDC ecosystem to be to work, we think we need public-private partnership.
5: Okay, so he just said, how are they going to make this attractive to the so-called private sector? And it's going to rely on a public-private partnership. Well, as we know, everything is a public-private partnership already, right? It's all that already. When you have the central banks that they call part of the public sector, just meaning they are an extension of the government. Let's just say they are an extension of the state. Well, they're filtering the money down to the commercial banks of the supposed private sector. And then the commercial banks fund everyone's businesses. So it's a whole system that comes from the state. It's all an extension of the state, folks. And so they've got us. They've got us. This is why sometimes I get frustrated because to me it seems like It's already there. It's just a matter of how fast they could build the technology. And I believe they can force the adoption pretty damn quickly. Uh, because if you own a coffee shop or you own a pizza restaurant and they make this the only way that you're going to be able to accept money and get money and then have tokens to go spend on the stuff that you need for your household, then they're going to drive you right into that system. All right, let's continue with Bo Lee. This is the Asian Yoda, ladies and gentlemen, Yoda from Star Wars.
2: That is, Central Bank will issue the obligation, but we have to rely on private sector to innovate, to distribute, to serve the population. So we think a successful CBDC ecosystem has to be built on a PPP, right, public-private partnership. Mm-hmm. Now the question comes, how to make this ecosystem attractive to private sector players? That's a challenge. Because if you think about it, how to make this a profitable business for private players. And we have seen this challenge in many of our member countries. And one idea we have, in fact, several of our members are also experimenting, is data.
5: Okay, so let's just pause right there while he's talking about data. As we know, Yuval Noah Harari. King philosopher of the World Economic Forum and the Force Industrial Revolution, talks uh, openly about data. Data is the new gold. He says that those who control the data will be the gods... Of the new era. Those who control the data will be the gods of the new era. That's Yuval Noah Harari. And so you're going to see Bo Lee here. He's talking about the importance of the public private partnership. How do you make it profitable along the chain? How do you allow all the so called private sector partners you need to implement this system to lend their technology, their infrastructure? How do you allow them to grift off the system? How do you make sure they still get their vision? their commission, their royalty, their piece of the action. And that's how you create buy-in, just like with the climate change hustle industry. You need to get all these people on board with this to help you actually implement the system. And that's what he is referring to, folks. Let's continue.
2: Because digital payment generates a lot of data. And this data can be very valuable. But of course, in order to make data generated by cbdc transactions to be valuable central banks have to answer several questions
5: okay so what did he just admit to you there in episode 110 he admitted that the money is programmable all right meaning they can prevent you from buying certain things from buying from certain people buying at certain times buying in certain places Uh, They could prevent you from traveling because if you can't buy gas or you can't buy a plane ticket or you can't pay to charge your electric car or they decide that your electric bill at home is too much. And so they're not going to let you charge at home anymore. And now he's saying we're collecting data off of every transaction and that data is very valuable. And the central bank is the one collecting it, folks, because they're not even pretending that it's a decentralized system, which is a flim-flam operation. We've explained that here at the Dust and Gold Standard. But this is a centralized operation. Uh, It's operating under the central bank. I mean, it's pretty much in your face, folks. All right, let's continue.
2: Question number one, how to distribute such data to service providers in a fair and equitable fashion that will promote healthy competition among service providers. Question number two, how to protect data privacy? Because if you don't protect data privacy, you're gonna lose trust, right? That's Kathleen said about trust. You need to protect data privacy. Question number three, how to encourage innovation? to unleash the value within those data. Because those data can be used in creating a lot of useful financial products, including credit underwriting and other value-added services. But we have to make sure those service providers who want to perform such kind of service, they have to be properly licensed and regulated.
5: Okay, so you heard him there. Name three things, correct? So, how do you get the private sector players... The commercial banks, the regulated non-banks on board with the system. One is how do you distribute all this data that they're collecting from me and you on our spending habits in a fair and equitable fashion, right? How do you protect the data, the privacy for you and me at the same time that you're distributing the data to these folks in a fair and equitable fashion, Right. And then the third one is you have to make sure you have these regulated so-called private sector partners that you're bribing with the data, being able to create products that they could then sell like credit underwriting. Right. Which, folks, this is all adding up to, uh, I hope you understand this, social credit scoring. All right, so they're collecting the data on all of your purchases and all of your habits, all of your spending. This is all connected to your digital ID. And then they're going to package the data and they're going to use it for credit underwriting and all these products, things that are in existence today that you don't actually need in the new system because you may have access to credit, but you're not allowed to build wealth. That's all part of the trick of this thing. You see how it works, folks? This is why it is so important To listen. To What these folks are saying, but coming from the place that we are, because we've spent what the last, I don't even know, folks, 12 episodes on central bank, digital currency, universal basic income, smart contracts, blockchain, Ethereum, the companies involved with this, the governments, Joe Biden's executive order. We are building this entire book here on this system. So when we listen to these conferences and these panel discussions featuring these top level, high ranking economic terrorists central bank mafia bosses we're actually able to understand what it is that they're saying folks i hope you get value from this and i hope you share this with your friends and family because this is the system we are in and this is the system we are moving further into and whether we're able to stop it i don't know but if we're going to end up in it, I want to understand it because I need to be able to work around it as much as possible. I am not thrilled about this, ladies and gentlemen. Unlike Tim Poole, I'm not going to say, well, uh, you know, uh, digital currency it sounds like it could have many benefits. I'm willing to... Listen to people about it. It sounds scary, but it sounds really, really cool. That's what I would say if I was some kind of a shill, folks. Shilling for the technocracy. I don't want any of this. In fact, if this wasn't going on, I'd be sitting here doing a show about rolling our country back to pre-1913 and getting rid of the Federal Reserve. Unfortunately, right now I have to stand for keeping the system we have and not moving us further into the technocracy and then get back to fighting to returning us to pre-1913 very dangerous stuff here folks very dangerous stuff we'll be right back this is dust to go with the dust and gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold
4: more listening to the dust and gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Payne.TV slash gold. All right, folks, let's pick back up with Bo Lee, Deputy Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund here. All right, he's talking about uh, building trust and getting all the private sector players, so-called private sector players, on board with pushing central bank digital currency. How do you make it profitable for them? How do you create the buy-in for the so-called private sector partners?
2: So all these questions have to be explored. And we are doing that right now. We are working with a number of our member countries to explore the utilization of data in this process so we can create value and we can make it a sustainable business model for private sector participants in this ecosystem.
5: Uh, Okay, so let me pause there for you. But do you see, so the central banks... And the IMF and the BIS uh, and the World Bank, all all these folks, right? They like to pretend they're part of the public sector. They're part of the government. So let's just assume they are. That's the official narrative. They're part of it. And they're sitting there talking about how it's their job to create business models for the so-called private sector. They're sitting there saying they're creating... The business model for the products that the private sector are going to sell in order to get people on board with the new public sector monetary system of complete and total slavery. That's what he said. That This guy is the deputy managing director of the International Monetary Fund. He works hand in hand with the Bank for International Settlements, the World Bank, the central banks, and then uh, works... Across the aisle into the uh, so-called private sector with the commercial banks, the regulated non-banks and such uh, financial institutions. So he's saying it's their responsibility there in the so-called public sector to create products for the so-called private sector. But it's a public-private partnership. It's actually one thing. It's just called the partnership. Let's just call. It, let's just call it what it is. It's the state. <laughs> it's the state. The, the new world order with one word, it's the state, folks. State, state. Let's continue. Up
2: here, thank
5: you.
1: Bo, just a quick question. When you look out at, at what's happening so far in this sphere, mm-hmm. uh, do you see any ways in which, you know, the transaction data so helpful are being used now or, or could be used or should be put into a plan? Just any specific example.
2: Well, I can give you one example in China because I personally experienced it, right? those transaction data can be utilized by service providers in credit underwriting in the sense that you know those transaction data in terms of how many coffee i drink every day where i buy coffee do i use uh, uber every day and what kind of working hours i have those non traditional data can be very useful for financial service providers okay. to give me a credit score and based on a credit score the financial service provider gives me a credit line without any face-to-face due diligence that's a big saving because traditionally you know banks they need to do due diligence they need to meet with us face to face they need to even visit my home, if you want to give me a home equity loan, right? Uh-huh. So there's a lot of cost associated with traditional credit underwriting. But the non-traditional credit underwriting is based on data. And there is no need for face-to-face meeting. And okay. it's much faster and much cheaper. And that's a way to create value. And we see a lot of that already in China because we have very good mobile payment system in China. And those service providers, that are providing a lot of additional financial service in addition to payment. And that can be very profitable. And that's the value we are talking about to make it attractive to private sector players to join this ecosystem.
1: Well,
5: Okay, let's pause right there. I let him go uh, because you guys should be able to understand him. And that was very, very important. Now, this guy... Bo Li, who's the deputy managing director of the International Monetary Fund, was also the deputy governor of the People's Bank of China, China's central bank. And so, as you can see, what he said right there, ladies and gentlemen, is that they're going to track everything you do. Where you buy your coffee, if you use Uber, and all this data that the so-called public sector is collecting, they are going to share with the so-called private sector. So the government is collecting, if they want to call themselves the public sector, then it's the government is collecting your data, all of your spending, and they're going to share that with the so-called private sector so that the private sector can assign you a credit score. Right? This is like A credit score, but he's talking about China, which credit score has turned into social credit score. So it's not just about what he's talking about, like giving you a home equity loan or giving you a credit card. This is going to go into whether or not you're allowed to rent an apartment. Right. Once all the apartments are consolidated under companies like BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street. So, if you go to some club they don't like, if you're hanging out at the Green uh, Dragon Tavern, if you're uh, listening to Dustin Gold Standard or to Thomas Paine Podcast, or you are... uh, purchasing things from someone like Wide Awake Jim, or you're listening to Legal Man the Quash, oh, you might not be able to rent an apartment. You might not be able to buy ammunition at the gun store. You see how this works, folks? And he's openly admitting it. He's talking about it. He's talking about it in generalities, relating it to a credit card or a home equity loan. Uh, But as you can see, Kathy from Bloomberg was trying to cut him off a couple of times. And I think that's because he was going a bit too far with it, especially relating it back to China, when many people know that China used a social credit score system. Very, 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 very dangerous very dangerous ladies and gentlemen but this is why we are breaking this down let's go back i think we're going to go over to kathy from bloomberg and for
1: the regular person I, mean, I think this is i think this is global universal anybody trying to buy a house or sell a house and when you have to go through all those steps anything that expedites that on both sides right on the uh, i'm the user of it or i'm the seller of it this is very very important uh I want to bring you in, Cecilia, on the question of, again, when you say, we say incentivize the private sector. Now, to me, again, that's a very nice, simple phrase. But let's, when you read about CBDCs, doesn't, one of the things that always comes up in a journalist's story is all the pluses, but then, well, you know what it's gonna mean for the banks. What if everybody goes into CBDCs and they pull their deposits out of the bank? And boy, oh boy, that could be a problem with the banking system. So incentivizing, but sometimes you get the feeling the private sector's maybe just hunkering down and wondering what's gonna to happen to them. Uh, so how, in that kind of environment, how do you incentivize?
5: Okay, okay, very important question. Again, she is working for the bad guys. She is trying to make sure that this system is going to uh, work. So she's going back to CC who is the head of the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub, doing all the cross-border testing through their Project Enbridge. So now she asks her, uh, what happens to the private sector, guys? If you remember, when we covered the World Economic Forum panel discussion, I told you there was a little tension between Axel, who was the chairman of Bank Suisse representing the commercial banks, the so-called private sector, and Frank Francois, who was the head of the Bank of France and chairman of Bank for International Settlements, because... It appeared that the commercial bankers are starting to wonder if they're going to get pushed out of the equation. Now, I told you this company consensus run by Joseph Lubin, who was partners with Vitalik Buterin, who was funded by Peter Thiel to develop Ethereum. We now see Ethereum as a backbone of many of the CBDC projects. We also see consensus coming in. They actually worked on uh, this bank for international settlements innovation hub platform with Ethereum as the backbone. Right. So we see these guys working now in partnership with Visa, MasterCard, other major financial institutions, and we saw Frank uh, Francois from the Bank of France tell Axel from Credit Suisse, don't worry, we're going to let you guys run all the private accounts, all the consumer accounts, all the business accounts. We don't want to handle that. We just want control over the currency, the payment system. All right, let's continue, folks. I know it's a lot. I keep trying to summarize everything that we've learned and pack it into little sound bites for you so that you can stay caught up on this stuff it's complex it's huge there's no simple way to explain all this folks let's continue
3: so uh i i think uh, what we just heard from bo about uh, credit scoring uh, uh is a very good example i think of um, that different countries have to uh, take different journeys to uh, a, a new kind of world where they serve their society in the best possible way in the, in the digital space. Uh, other countries might kind of find this uh, uh, not the way to go forward. So we all have different preferences, and, and this uh, preference on, on privacy or anonymity um, is tricky. Uh, A lot of people I meet, and I've spoken about this for years now, says that they don't want to have their payments uh, um, kind of distributed among commerce, but they're very happy to have a lot of CCTV cameras because they find it's worth to give up a little bit of privacy to get.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting there, uh, Cece. Did you hear what she said? They'll have uh, people who say they don't want all of their payments being tracked. They don't want all of their uh, transactions uh, being uh, put into a spreadsheet, into a database, and shared with the commercial bankers the so-called private sector side but they're fine with all the cctv the closed circuit tv cameras that are all over the place or if you look at this country just here in the united states there's uh, millions upon millions of people with the amazon rings and all of the google cameras and devices surrounding their house we're actually building the surveillance state for the technocrats we're doing that ourselves when we install these things you think it's to protect you at home no folks this is to provide data to these guys and she's saying oh people are fine with that because they're willing to trade their freedom and liberty for perceived security right if you trade your freedom and liberty for security you will end up with neither freedom or security and she's saying people are willing to do that so now the hook is going to be well give up a little freedom and we're going to provide you with security because we're going to protect you from identity theft and fraud and everything else let's continue
3: security Etc. So I think uh, bottom line is every country has to, to, to look into this from their own particular sp- perspective. What, what is the current state? Where do they want to move it? Uh, and it differs very much if you were working in an emerging economy versus um, um, an advanced economy and depending also how financially included people actually are. So look at the current situation. Look at where you want to go and ask yourself a number of questions. And, Asking those questions, I think should be in a, in a broader conversation in society, so legislature has to come in, uh, consumers' groups, merchants' group um, so so you kind of bring out the best of, of the best in, in thinking and then
5: Okay, let's pause for a second because it's important what she said there. Did you hear uh where she's talking about uh if you already have a society, let's say like the United States where everyone is already banking, as I showed you there's only about 2 million people supposedly that are unbanked that would like to be banked supposedly. Supposedly, you're supposed to believe that. And then she said versus an emerging economy, right? So this is why they're testing stuff out in Africa. And again, it's easy to get people hooked on the these materialistic items, and then sell them on the idea of a payment system. Let's say here in the United States, they think it's going to be a little tougher because they have to take 375 million people who are already used to a system that they think kind of works, and so they don't want to move away from paper cash into a digital system. But if you go into a village in Africa where people live in uh, straw huts, then it's easier to force them into the system because they don't know any different. They just have to move them from straw hut, from basically nothing, over to digital. Where here, you have to convince people to give up cash and move into the central bank digital currency slave state trackable system. You see how that works? You see how that works, ladies and gentlemen? So that's what she was talking about right there. I'll be right back. This Dust and Gold with the Dust and Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash
4: gold. More listening to the Dust and Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.TV.
5: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back right here on Pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So let's pick it up where we left off right here with CC, the head of the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub. And she is talking about how they're going to basically force people into this system and how it's easier to get people that live in mud huts into the system than it is to take people like in the United States and move them into the system, and each country is going to have to figure that out. That's the job of the puppets, the politicians, the actors. And then they all have their own uh, networks. Each country has a network of influencers and propagandists and celebrities and entertainers that are all on the payroll, and they use those folks to drive the propaganda and to move the brainwashing and the mind control forward through all of these personalized choose-your-own-adventure feedback loops that we've covered here at the Dustin Gold Standard, So you'll start to see that happening. That's what Elon Musk is and these folks. And they're going to push people for it. I mean, we could probably go look and see what Kim Kardashian's talking about. She still reaches a lot of people. Miley Cyrus, Britney Spears, these kind of folks. They They give them the talking points, and the next thing you know, they'll be tweeting about CBDC is awesome. I accept it now for concert tickets. You know how it works, folks. All right, let's continue.
3: Um, there is no kind of easy, quick way to uh, incentivize the, the private sector here. It, 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 it depends a lot. Uh, but I, I think I, I, I have a good example of how a private sector actually won from, from uh, the public sector moving uh, the country from one place to another. That is the Brazilian retail fast payment system PICS that was kind of a bit roughly kind of introduced by by the central bank. Um, And it was a phenomenal uh, onboarding. And people who had never had a bank account before got on board and people could could start to transact with one another uh, much safer than using cash. And also they could leave this digital imprint so the banks could start to tailor make
5: Uh, selling credit products so everybody oh folks if if you were watching the video here at pain.tv slash gold she starts laughing big smirk on her face when she talks about the data and the banks can start selling these products now you have to ask yourself if you take a country a territory an area of people that aren't really banking right Uh, first off, they're going to say cash, it's not safe. Well, people have been using cash for how long? Since you guys introduced it, actually. And so it's not safe, right? It's not safe. This system will be safer because the tokens, the CBDC tokens, are assigned to you. You can't trade them. You can't sell them. People can't steal them from you. So they're going to use that. That's a big talking point is safety. It's safety, and it's because they love you. But she just said you take an area that's basically virtually unbanked, and then we onboard them into a system that the central bank created, she said, and the private sector onboards all these people. Well, why are you doing that? You have to ask yourself, did the people ask for that? Did the people there ask for it, or are you coming in as economic hitmen, uh, that book by John Perkins, We mentioned yesterday in episode one ten. Are you coming in, you economic terrorist? pigs you mafia boss central banker scum and you're forcing people into the system well yeah that's what she just said central bank comes up with it and then they use the private sector partners to onboard people they're onboarding them folks that's adoption campaign right that's what i've told you about let's continue
3: Gained really from that all right this is, might be a too glossy picture but but it kind of points out that if 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 public sector kind of pushes the private sector into a new equilibrium, uh, that that is something what is required. If you're waiting for the private sector to to act, they might be too much vested interest and they might might be stuck there. Uh,
5: So she just said the public sector, the central banks, the world bankers have to push the private sector. This is why I said this is not a system of inclusion. It's a system of coercion coercion is getting somebody to do something via threat or force they're gonna force you they're gonna push you if you won't get on that cattle car on that train to go to the Auschwitz concentration camp. And I'm using this as an example all the time because I went there when I was in Poland and I know people will debate me on all the, it, It's It's fine. 99% of the world accepts the story we were told in school. So let's stick with it for right now. But if they want to take you and push you onto the cattle car to go to Auschwitz concentration camp, and you're hesitant to do that because you say, well, my life here isn't too bad, then they're going to do what they did, at least the stories told. They're going to drive you into ghettos, make your life miserable, and then throw you on the train. They're going to push you onto the cattle car. That's what she's saying. They're going to push you. And this goes back to technocracy, too, the system of social engineering, the science of social engineering. They are going to engineer you into it because you will have no other choice. Let's continue. Um,
3: so I'll stop there. All right.
5: That- and remember, folks, these guys are partnered with the governments. They just call themselves the, the public sector, They're governments. So how do we do it over all these years when there was a country that didn't want a central bank in their country? Oh, we're going to push you into it. Oh, really? What does that mean? Uh, we're going to come there with the United States or with allied forces, and we're going to blow up your infrastructure. We're going to kill your president we're going to slander them and call them a dictator run a huge propaganda campaign turn the whole world against them we're going to destroy everything you have and then we're going to come in and say hey your president was a terrible guy he was a dictator he was beating people we are the good guys we are the allied forces we are the freedom machine so we're going to rebuild your country this is what imf and world bank do we are going to rebuild your country uh, but guess what you're going to do you're going to put a central bank into place we're going to push you into it, whether you want it or not, folks. This has been done time and time again throughout history, time and time again by these economic terrorists, these mafia boss, central banker scum. Let's continue.
1: Means I can move on to Vera. Uh, and another really big issue, uh and again, I think for people who are very much deep in the weeds here, and just people talking about it, wondering about it, is financial integrity, it's money laundering, it's a financial crime, uh, you, you have to set up the system so that you counter that, you don't let it happen as much as you can, and it, it happens in any kind of monetary system, but at the same time, you don't want to make the barriers so tight, I guess, that people can't get in. How do you view that, and how do you view the best way forward as these systems develop?
5: Okay, so this woman here, Kathy from Bloomberg, uh, Nancy Pelosi with plastic surgery, uh, she is now asking Vera, and Vera, as I told you, is Vera Songwe, she is from the United Nations in charge of the Africa Project, all right? And they are running test pilots in Africa, folks. They are trying to force these people. I mean, I honestly feel bad for these people. They probably have no idea what's coming. If I had a lot of money if i was making a lot of money with this show and eventually where i'd really like to go with the dust and gold stand let me just share this with you uh because it's kind of my vision as i've been thinking about doing a show like this for several years i really want to end up being like um an anthony bourdain Uh, type of show i mean i'm always going to do the podcast like this where i sit in front of the camera and i do the show i want to do the morning show which i'm looking at launching on january 1st but i'd love to be able to say you know what i'm deploying to africa with a producer cameraman for a week and I'm just going to go do a mini documentary like a 30 to 60 minute show and I'm going to go out to one of these places where these economic terrorists are we're going to see what they're doing in Africa we're going to talk to some local people eventually that's what I want to do but I have to grow I have to get about I would say 10 to 20 times bigger than where we are for me to be able to go and do that But it will be such a value to you folks, and it will provide intelligence like you've never seen before. Because when I'm on the ground, folks, I am able to jive with almost anyone. I'm very good at blending in uh, with the locals, adopting culture quickly, working with translators, and I would be able to pull so much information. I I would just love to show you what they're doing. I would have deployed to Ukraine by now. I would have went to Russia. I would go all over the place. Um, I mean, right now, obviously, because you don't need a COVID vaccine to get in many places. Obviously, if that was the case, I would not be traveling. I'm sorry. I'm not going to sacrifice myself to bring you guys intelligence. I am not getting a COVID jab. But that's the type of show I want to be able to do in the future. So I ask you to please spread the word about the Dust and Gold Standard. Get your friends and family to listen. We get the numbers up. On the public side, I'm able to make ad revenue off the Heads. If I can get 10 to 20 times bigger, that will be enough alone to be able to allow me to have the budgets because I will reinvest the money that I'm making into doing projects like that. And there'd be enough there without having to ask you guys for any more money. And then also on the subscription side, for now, you can join pain.tv slash gold and I get 50% of that, folks. And if you want to help grow. This show, you can leave a donation at DonorBox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. So what we're going to do tomorrow is going to be episode 112, and we're going to pick back up. We've got about 15 minutes left in this panel discussion, and then we're going to get into this global summit where they're talking openly about is the world ready? Are people ready for a new world Order. And then that's going to bring us into our conversation with my good friend Dan Golbach, ladies and gentlemen. So sleep on that. Lots of good stuff came out of this piece of the International Monetary Fund Central Bank Digital Currencies for Financial Inclusion, Risks and Rewards, October 14, 2022 presentation ladies and gentlemen seriously absorb this try to understand it because it's going to get rockier and crazier as we move forward but by the time we're done you are going to understand how exactly this system works and how much these economic terrorists want to drive you into a system of complete and total slavery, folks. There is no question about it at this point. This is not because they love us, although, folks, I love you. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. I'm going to go change a diaper, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to us right here on pain.tv slash Gold.
3: The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world. Hmm